Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast, along with my partners, Brian Siegel and Jonathan Talley. I'm Curtis Wilson, and this episode is brought to you by Dr. Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. If you love this podcast, the Hokies, the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting Main Street Pharmacy when you make your way to town. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just want to stop and say hello, let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend goes towards the thing that you love and support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head on down to 301 South Main Street. Fellas, I don't know if y'all noticed, but there's some new music in the intro there for this episode. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's our, that's our man Jason Long with a little cover of uh, Midnight Rider there. Uh, now, Tally, you know who originally recorded Midnight Rider, right? Midnight Rider. Pretty sure that's by the Almond Brothers. You got it. Yes, sir. Almond Brothers, you know who's a big fan of the Almond Brothers, right? I, I think coach. I know somebody. Somebody that was uh, talking about playlist a few weeks back. Head uh, coach Brent Pry. All right. Yeah. So, so Boundary Corner Podcast listeners, with all that being said, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the Boundary Corner Podcast today. Not only is he a big Almond Brothers fan. But he is the head coach of your Virginia Tech Hokies. Welcome, Coach Brent Pry. Coach Pry, how you doing? I'm gonna tell you, you had me worried for a minute. 
Had you I was worried. like, okay, I hope they don't think that's Greg Allman. Wasn't bad. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> but certainly not Greg Allman. I I mean, it's it's, it's hard to beat Greg Allman, though. <laughs> Absolutely hard. But our buddy, when we told him, we thought about having you on, he's like, I'm going to record it. Because he's putting out a, 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 a CD in a few days here. Love so, it. Uh, he said he wanted to do the tip of the cap not only to the Allman brothers, but to Coach Pry, because our buddy's down in Roanoke. Tell, tell me his name again. Jason Long. Great. Well, tell him I appreciate it. We absolutely will. Coach, how's everything been, man? We know you are busy as heck these last few months here. Yeah, it's been a good uh, good spring. you know. And then, uh, of course, the assistants hit the road recruiting and We've been doing Hokie Club events around the state, which have, have been well-received. And, and uh, we just got all our guys in for summer. On Sunday night, we had a big team meeting. And so they're already rocking and rolling and lifting and running and there getting go. things going. So awesome. on into phase three. There we go. You just had the uh, the tailgate in Nova last, right, last night, right? We sure did. Yeah, we had a great uh, – we flew out yesterday at, before lunch. We had a great lunch with uh, – some very important donors and supporters of the program. Uh, Mike Vick was in attendance, Kendall Fuller, and uh, obviously some some prominent guys that support the program. And uh, that lasted a couple hours, and we went over to uh, two silos and, uh, you know, had a nice, uh, nice time there, met a ton of people. My wife Amy goes with us to those things, and, Shake a lot of hands, kiss a lot of babies, and share that hokey love. Yes, sir. Yes, you know. sir. Well, well, Coach, you already mentioned phase three. And, you know, as we kind of wrapping up the spring and everything here, we're about halfway through the calendar year. How would you feel overall phase one, the winter workouts, and you, as you call them, and phase two spring practice? How did you feel it went for the team? Yeah, I tell you, I was pleased. Phase one was much more competitive. That's a combination of morning workouts – football sessions, weight room, uh, a lot of one-on-one reps in agility, cone work, mat drills. You know, we documented all the reps and, and called out winners, and the level of compete just rose and rose and rose as we went. So very pleased there. I think our, our pad level, our footwork, things like that improved as well as uh, the compete level. Then phase two spring ball. You know, that's where guys get an opportunity that hadn't been in it too deep previously. And all of a sudden they're inserted and they're getting meaningful reps. And, you know, I, I thought the fundamentals were there. I thought uh, there was growth at each position. I thought there was improvement. You don't do your whole package in the spring, but there was improvement with what, what we did install offensively and defensively. Nice. Well, talking about spring practice a little bit, we know you've been coaching a long, long time, Coach. Kind of new to head coaching. Uh, So last year being your first year, then this being your second year, uh, were there any particular areas of focus that you kind of inputted this year or focused on this year more than last year? Yeah, I think this. I think, uh, you know, it still gets back to – identifying the weaknesses with each guy on your roster. And that could be the best player on the team. It could be number 125. But you have right. to be able to, to talk, identify those weaknesses and then talk to those guys about it. And how do we improve on them? 
You know, that, that's a big area emphasis. And I think in year one, it's hard to, to know enough about each guy. You hadn't been around him enough. Yep. You know, and right. that's on the field. That's off the field. That's all of it. So when you have a whole cycle with them, and you just feel a little better about what you know, and you can work on things. So I think we did a good job there, a much better job myself and the staff. And then the additional yeah. piece is just, you know, really being the best head coach I can be. Yes, sir. Definitely, definitely. Instead of spending well, half my time back in the defensive room, I was able to spend a bunch of time right here at this desk doing head coaching duties. Uh, definitely. So um, kind of going back to that as well, did, was there any things that you kind of scrapped from last year now that you're putting more of that head coaching hat on most of the time? Did you scrap anything from last year that you did and kind of what led to that if you did? Yeah, to be honest, just sp not spending the time in that defensive room, you know, not feeling like, okay, I got to go back there from 9 to 11 and from, from 3 to 4. And, you know, it just gave my calendar a lot more freedom to do other things within the program, within the community, on the university campus. I just was able to be a better, more well-rounded head coach, I feel like. Gotcha. That's awesome. I, lo I love Understand. hearing that. Understand. It's, yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's definitely nice hearing that, uh, you know, some being able to focus more on those head coach duties, that's definitely something that we like to hear. What position group from the spring and the, and the winter workouts do you think kind of exceeded your expectation um, kind of during the course of those two phases? Yeah, I think the wideouts showed the most improvement. Now, they had the longest way to go. Uh, <laughs> You know, they might have been right last last year, but I tell you, Coach Mines has done a fabulous job recruiting and coaching that group. We've had some guys develop, uh, Stephen Gosnell, Tucker Holloway, Xavion Bradshaw. We've recruited some high school guys that we're excited about developing, Aiden Green, Marcel Baylor, uh, Kai Heath, Penix, Fitzgerald. I mean, then you talk about the three transfers. Felton, Lane, and Jennings, all three of them have a chance to, to be in the starting lineup. Um, and if not, they're going to be in a serious rotation. So well, we, we really helped ourselves there. We couldn't separate well enough last year. We didn't catch the ball well enough. You know, we weren't fast enough. We didn't have depth. So I, I think we got a chance to have a, a true six, maybe seven, that we feel really good about catching the ball, route running, yards after catch. You know, some of those guys need to, you know, we got to have some guys who make some big-time plays and big-time moments. Yeah, that's, a, that's a big step forward from last year with, you know, only really, you know, Kayla Smith was the, 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 the right. big reliable, but you didn't really have a whole lot of consistent output beyond him. So. Outside of him, there wasn't much, you know, and he was, he was up and down with his health and, you know, how many snaps he could play and if he was going to play. But um, you know, I, I think we're in a much better place there. Yeah, I, I love coach how you just speak so candidly, saying that wide receiver group was last last year and yeah. how they've taken those strides. That's wonderful to hear. And you know, you mentioned some of those transfers, including Jalen Lane. And you know, we didn't get to see Jalen, you know, at the spring game because he was a little banged up. And those are things that can be unforeseen. And there ain't no reason to take any unnecessary risks. This is a spring game. You're wrapping up right. that phase. No reason to aggravate a nick. Um, but that certainly impacts the balance of the game. And these boys said I had to ask this question because I've talked about it several times on the podcast. 
That may, that doesn't mean I got to answer it. It does. It's true. <laughs> you don't have to answer it. But because of seeing this now a couple years, do you foresee any change to the spring game format given the limitations? You know, we knew Xavier Chaplin was out on that white team this year, and that was a big loss for them. Um, how do you see that going forward, or is that something self-evaluation constantly? Yeah, I think that's an annual evaluation on how you want to do it. You know, for us right now, uh-huh. we still needed four quarters, game operation, game management. Gotcha. You know, the whole team and staff needed that in the stadium. You know, as we get further down the road, if we get to a better place, which I hope we will, maybe it can be a little more geared towards just – you know, seeing guys work and a little bit more like a scrimmage situation rather than game situation and, you know, get more out of it that way. But also, let me tell you, when you hit that last practice, you don't want to lose anybody. Yes, sir. You know, the, the hay's almost in the barn. Right. There's going to be a handful of guys every year that need that game, that yep. need the evaluation you know, that need to experience. And they're generally not in that lineup. There may be a backup guy that surfaced or somebody that was banged up early in spring. And and you say, you know what, it's worth the risk. We got to go get him a a good day. But uh, I've lost starters in the spring game at other places, other years. And that's a bad feeling. So uh, we came out of that thing healthy, which was you know, put a smile on everybody's face. Absolutely. That's a big step towards the summer, right? Nobody's barely injured. It's hard to get better when you're in that training room. I'm right. Yeah, definitely. Well, another one of those uh, required by law questions, Coach. Now, you're not required by law to answer, but I'm required (laughs) to ask uh, about the quarterback battle just a little bit, but just touching on it a little bit different. Um, What areas did you see uh, growth with whales and drones in that uh, phase one and two? Like what areas did each one of those grow in more? Yeah, I, I say this. Grant is a uh, – he's a better student of the game. He made better choices. Really proud of what Coach Bowens – how coaches impacted that room being in there every day. And the relationship he's built with Grant and Kyron and the young guys. So, I think the decision making by Grant, and uh, and then with Kyron, you just saw a guy get better each and every day. He just slowly but surely, uh, from practice one to practice fourteen, you know, looked like a different quarterback. I mean, you got two opposite ends of the spectrum. You got Wells, who's a three-year starter at the college level. And you got Kyron, who's never started a game, uh, but has a really, really good skill set, can spin it. He's 6'3", nearly 235. He's got good speed. He's one of the stronger guys on our team. Um, so, you know, both those guys, I thought, really showed some, some good things this spring. And then the young guy, Pop Watson, Dylan Whitkey, I thought they both did some good things. I'm pleased with, with, with where they're at as freshmen. And, you know, Pop was able to go out and make a few splash plays in the spring game, which was good. <clears throat> but quietly, Dylan went out and managed his couple of series really well. I didn't have an opportunity to make a play, but, man, he made really good decisions. And sometimes, as you said, those lines are patched together. And those quarterbacks got, you know, 
it's a little bit tougher to, to manage and operate. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Dillon, I mean, he had that one ball, I think, that went off a receiver's hands on a deep ball there kind of late the in the spring game. So that was a good yep. chance to see what he could do kind of get the ball That's downfield. Right. Let, let's kind of rewind a little bit, though. Uh, heading into spring practice, you had to make some changes to the makeup of your offensive staff with Coach Rudolph, Coach Glenn moving on. How do you feel Coach Bowen and Coach Holt have adjusted to these changes so far this offseason? Yeah, it's been great. You know, I – I'll start with Bowen. I, my gut wanted him to coach quarterbacks when we started this thing. You know, a long time ago, Ricky Bussell, and you guys know Ricky oh, yeah. Bussell, <laughs> hired me as a 31-year-old coordinator at Louisiana Lafayette. And, man, I tell you what, I'd coached a ton of DBs. I'd coached D-line, never coached linebackers. And uh, I just said, you know what, I need to do it to be the best coordinator I can be. I need to go do this for the linebackers. And, you know, so I had that gut, you know, that gut feeling and just didn't move on it, you know. So Tyler had been a tight end guy and a a really good one. But, uh, you know, so I'm very pleased, you know. He got more involved in that room down the stretch. And then, uh, you know, this winter, this spring, seeing him in, you know, the work that's done with those guys. Those quarterbacks at this level, they got to live the life every day. They got to be chomping at the bit for the game plan. They got to be in that film room all the time. You know, there's just things that that are necessary to be to be a good quarterback in Power Five ball, and you know, and I think Tyler has has really he's laid out a really good plan for those guys' development and and for their process, and so it, it's it's been a good move. And then Stu Holt, he's just a good football coach. He's coached running backs. He's coached tight ends. He's coached some daggone good tight ends. And so that was easy. Um, you know, he's a really personal guy. It was easy to move out to the tight ends. And you got good leadership by a guy like Nick Gallo out there who's, who's going to help that transition. And when you're the special teams coordinator, you work with all the positions. Yep. So he already had relationships with those guys. And so that, you know, that was – I'm very pleased with the direction that went with the addition of Elijah Brooks, who I've known for a long time, uh, what he did at DeMatha on the recruiting front, on the coaching front, on the development piece, all of it. And then, you know, seeing him at Maryland, you know, those last three years I was at Penn State and coaching against him and and, and recruiting against him uh, and understanding, you know, Mike Loxley and knowing Mike and just how they recruit there. And so it was – it was we were fortunate to get Elijah. And then uh, – you know, Ron Crook, Ron's a guy I didn't know as well, but so many people I trust and respect for years and years, you know, reached out about Ron and, and said the right things that are meaningful to me, uh, that made sense for Virginia Tech, that made sense for Brent Fry, that made sense for our own line room. So feel great about both those guys. They're footprint guys, which you know you guys hear me say that all the time. Oh, yeah. Got plenty of ties. They strengthen our ability to be really good in our footprint. So to me, it was, you know, we were a win-win. Yeah, it sounds like that uh, with Coach Brooks and Coach Crook coming in, they were able to hit the ground running in those 15 practices. And clearly, you know, you talk about footprint, you know, from our buddy Robbie talking about Crook being up in the state of uh, West Virginia and like Ohio. And obviously, Elijah, that DeMatha connection, man. I mean, when he came on and I read his biography and it said – 
he is the winningest coach in the math of history. Because that's like because I go back there and the first thing I thought of somebody you worked with. I thought Billy Height was at the yeah. connection for so many years, and yeah. you're getting another one, and you're getting the most successful coach. That's big stuff. Yeah, good hire for us, and you know he's got a great family, and you know he's been in he's been in high powered league, you know, for four years, and it just uh, you know you look for certain things. You don't know if you're going to get a guy that's going to check every box, but I tell you, we got awful close. I mean, you know, and then Ron, when you talk about Ron, and I joke about it, but. You know, you, there's all these tiny programs in the state of West Virginia and Pennsylvania, right? So, you know, he coached at Glenville. My mom's a, a Glenville grad, right? When I was young, we would take trips to Glenville. He coached at, uh, at uh, West Virginia Tech. My dad coached at West Virginia Tech. You know, he coached at Clarion. My dad coached at Clarion. You know, he's, he's from Parkersburg. I mean, we were we were at Lewis County for, for four years. And so there was just – all these small college relationships and, and you know what those places are about and the products of those places. And, you know, I know what they did for my dad and what they did for me. And when you coach at places like East Stroudsburg and, you know, so that meant a lot to me in, uh, you know, in the process and in the evaluation of what Ron could do for us. Definitely coach. We talk about those coaches and, and coach hires uh, not long after spring, you made a, a, hired at most uh Hokies are very familiar with Mr. James Johnson. Um, Double J. <laughs> Double, J. Double J. Double J. We uh we know we know he had been in the building a lot uh, or as of late even before the official announcement. Yeah. And his uh title, let me see his title is Director of High School Relations. Can you speak a little bit more about specifically what his job entails or what his role entails? Yeah, so he's the second hire at that spot. Uh, Glenwood Fearby's there. Glenwood was a head coach in Virginia Beach and then down in Charlotte. And, you know, these positions are about building relationships with high school recruits and their families and high school coaches, assistants and head. You know, it's about these guys diving in and knowing the assistant principal at a school in Charlotte. You know, used to be a coach with them. It's about a guy – you know, being from Richmond, being from Virginia Beach, having roots in our footprint, particularly in the state of Virginia. Um, it's, you know, neither one of those guys is evaluating film. Right. You know, that, that's not really what they're, you know, they may be sitting in there when we're looking at a guy, and I'm sure Double J will get better as time goes, but I know this, he can evaluate athleticism, you know. Yeah, definitely. But when you talk about people skills, and a likable personality and positive energy and all these things that you want when people visit our program and come into our facility, you know, coach Johnson has all of that. He's very well trusted in the area. He's very well respected, you know, in this department, very well thought of across the Commonwealth. So, you know, that was a, he was kind of a late comer to the idea of, Hey, you know, what do you think, Coach? Would you be interested in this? I mean, he had he had assistant opportunities at several places, at good places. And he's got such a passion for Virginia Tech. He'd been around our program enough. He sat in many staff meetings, many team meetings. And he knew what we were about, and he wanted to be part of it, you know, which, which made me awful proud and excited to get him on board with us. 
Uh, we appreciate you kind of coach putting it on there about what that high school relations is. Cause I think a lot of people were thinking, Oh, they're filming. They're out there at the games on Friday nights, looking at these players. Thank you for finally clarifying that. And somehow let's, let's talk a little bit more about recruiting day one. Never forget it. You said we're going to recruit the state of Virginia, six hour radius from Blacksburg. You're about 18 months into your tenure. How do you feel your vision is starting to level up with the caliber of players you want to play football in Blacksburg? Yeah, we've um, we've done a really good job, I think, investing in the state and in the footprint. You know, it's not always easy for for the assistants because they just, you know, they want to go recruit the 10 best linebackers in the country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so there's been some education and some, you know, some direction and leadership for me to say, hey, listen, this, instead of you going to Texas to see a guy and flying back and you get one visit in a whole day, if you recruit the footprint and you go see these four or five guys, you know, more than likely one or two of them are going to develop into a player that we would want. So you know, they've done a good job putting in the time. I told a story at that donor luncheon yesterday. That first uh, December I was hired. We went in Warwick High School, Mike Vick School. Yep. Took a picture with the jersey, you know, and they didn't have anybody for us then. <clears throat> I hadn't seen a Virginia Tech coach in six years. Mm, that's you crazy. Know, that's Mike oh, Vick yeah. And that's just a different philosophy. I'm not knocking that last bunch, but for right. me, you know, and how we're going to do it, man, I want to be the front runner if there's a prospect at Mike Vick School. We got all the reason in the world to think, even if he becomes a national recruit that everybody and their mother wants. You know, man, this is Mike's school. Got a relationship with Mike. We're in there every year. Here we go. You know, I don't think there should be a, a, a good player in the state of Virginia that has a better relationship with anybody, with any staff, more than ours. They may choose to go somewhere else, and they will. But the relationship piece, we got to win that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's that's uh, that's part of the. No, not talking too much about the other bunch, like you said, but that's part of the things that we're missing with recruiting and what us fans were kind of, you know, frustrated with. So glad to hear you say that, Coach. And also something else you mentioned was the portal. Um, we've seen this offseason a stronger use of the portal uh, to fill some spots on the roster. Is it going to be your philosophy going forward to, you know, use the portal that way? Is it still going to be uh, kind of a availability and fit thing? Yeah, it's a need and fit, you know, where we feel like we need an older guy or did we lose, you know, did we not do well enough with our freshman class at a particular area that says we might need to go to the portal, you know, for a guy or two, you know, do you lose a guy? I mean, we've, you know, this roster is, has really flipped. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got, we've got 30, 37 new players, 36 new players, um, you know, since the, since the season ended. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's – but to do that, you know, there's got to be action in the portal. And right. We're fortunate. We only had one player hit that thing since we've been here that we didn't want to see go. Um, that was the wide receiver, Caleb Smith. But we feel like in the trade – you know, in the negotiations, we were able to get three receivers out of the portal that we feel really good about. So, you know, you're a little bit like a GM these days, you know, mm -hmm. with, with, with trying to 
build your roster, retain your roster, and make it as strong as you can. Yeah, and you talk about the guys that that left, you know, with Caleb obviously ultimately medically retiring from football, you know, you don't know if that was going to necessarily be something that happened to you anyway. So the the trade-off there is definitely uh, in Virginia Tech's favor, I feel like, and yeah, and I always worked, you know, we supported Caleb through the whole thing and you know, whether he chose to return to Tech or, or move on. And my buddy's the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. And, you know, we were talking and up front with one another. And you know, it's unfortunate for, for Caleb it didn't work out. But, you know, my interest, you know, first is Virginia Tech. And I feel very good about what we're able to do. And, you know, that portal to me, right, it's what's scary sometimes, guys, is, you can recruit a high school player for three and four years and get to know everything about him and his family. You might have to make a decision on a prospect in the transfer portal in two or three weeks. Yeah. So doing your homework and calling the high school and calling the former college, you know, calling people in the community, you know, crossing your T's and dotting your I's to make sure this guy not only is the player we need him to be, but really more importantly, he's also culturally going to fit with the way we do things. Yeah, and, you know, going along with the transfer portal, um, let's talk NIL a little bit because that's a new step in this whole process as well. Um, you know, we here on this podcast, we've historically supported the idea of NIL, but came down pretty hard on the NCAA in terms of how it was implemented between kind of punting the responsibility and then kind of slapdashing a loose framework there together to kind of get it going. But my question for you is, how has NIL coupled with kind of the laxer transfer portal rules impacted the way you approach recruiting and retaining players and roster management in general? Well, it's all of that, right? It's everything you said. I mean, roster management retention is something that's there all the time. So that's one of the reasons I'm very upfront with our team. Uh, One of the reasons that, Communication is one of our five fundamentals. We have to be able to have hard conversations with one another. If you're thinking that that you may want another opportunity somewhere, that you're going to chase some money or or chase a move up the depth chart, come in and let's talk about it. You know, let's make sure you're not basing a decision on something that's not real or misinformation. Let's talk through it. Yeah. And the same for me. You know, if I've got issues with a guy and I'm thinking we might need to move on, we're going to talk about it. I told the guys before we went out for the spring, I told the entire team, I said, we're over seven scholarships. I said, I, now I can't keep everybody that's in this room. We're also over spots on the roster in general. So whether you're a scholarship player or a walk-on player, there's competition all over the place to see who we move forward with. Um, and I said, I, it's my job as the head coach to make this most, the most competitive roster in the country. That's my job. If I'm not doing that, I'm failing everybody in here. We all want to win a championship. Yep. The fans, the administration, the staff, the families, the players, the, the lettermen. So to do that, the roster has to be as competitive as we can be. I tell them, I, I told them, I'm bringing somebody in to take your job. That's what I'm doing. So you better be on your toes. That's as real as it gets. They understand the things. They understand the climate of things. But what's scary is, you know, we had a player, he wasn't in the portal. And he gets inducements to go to two other places. 
you know, we're able to kind of talk through it and, hey, man, do you like it here, first of all? Coach, I love it here. Well, then let's find a way to make this work, right? Yeah. So, but then, okay, so you wrap it up and January comes along and that portal window closes and and you go into spring ball and everything goes good and every – well, guess what? The portal window opens again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's people poaching players off other rosters that aren't in the portal. Third-party entities. I'm not saying it's coaches. In some cases, it is. There's proof out there. There's text yeah. messages. There's, you know, but a lot of times it's third-party people. It's an assistant coach at the high school. You know, somebody trying to maybe make a buck or just kind of steer the the boat a little bit. So it, it's a constant battle. Um, again, just trying to be honest with with these guys and where we're at, and you know, I think that's the best policy, man. Some transparency about things. A hundred percent, Coach. I, I loved hearing you had that conversation telling all 125 guys, not just 85 guys, everybody's competing. Everybody's competing top to bottom. And I look at the class of 23, you had a huge – we had a huge amount enroll early in the spring semester ahead of their time. Tally said it a couple times watching the spring game. That kid should be at his senior prom right now, yeah. and yeah. he's out there <laughs> hitting somebody on the field. Um. How much of a benefit is it getting those guys on campus in January for you as a team? Yeah, it, it's, it's you know, anywhere I've been, as long as the guy's mature enough and ready for college, it's a benefit. And most times those are the guys that want to come early. Right. They're anxious. Yeah. And they can do the schoolwork to get out early. You know, the guys that are struggling and can't or – want to play around and have fun all spring. And, you know, they're not interested in doing it. But, you know, when I was at Penn State and had recruited Micah Parsons, he was a defensive end with his hand in the dirt. And I knew I wanted to give him a shot at linebacker. Well, had he not come in the spring and got 15 practices and a ton of meetings, he never could have done it as a freshman. He led our team in tackles. But if he hadn't been there early, you know, we got guys out here that get giving themselves a chance to help us because of that. So, you know, it, it's definite benefit. It's not for everybody, and certainly not every school allows it. Um, but, you know, we, we signed 26 high school players, 13 of them from the state of Virginia. Yes, sir. But, you know, that's important. But also the fact that 22 of them won state championships. So there was 21 of them were the captains of their team. 800 win percentage for their senior year. Just a lot of qualities that scream maturity and the ability to come early and have a chance to, to, to practice well in the spring and, and give themselves a leg up on helping us in the fall. Definitely. You, you hit on a couple of the, you know, recruiting class that you had last year and uh, some of the players and stuff for the end of 22, when you were hired um, and then the 23 cycle, uh, you talked about being a little bit behind uh, regional recruiting opponents uh, because of the relationships that were built for the school before you got here. Uh, do you feel like this 2024 class is kind of the first class that you're not playing catch up, that you're, you know, kind of out front on some of the some of the prospects? I don't know if out front, because to me, if we weren't recruiting them in ninth grade, we're behind. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you know, and, I understand. And there's some of these guys that hadn't been to Virginia Tech 
until we started recruiting them as 11th graders. Right. Um, you know, so we're still going to be behind, not as much. Right. You know, certainly, which I feel better about. But, you know, a lot of decisions were made on that 23 class on some of those upper tier guys. And, you know, I, I feel great about our class, but also you want to be able to have a chance with each and every good prospect in our state to have recruited them from ninth grade on. Definitely. You know, and maybe they're not the, the prospect as a ninth or 10th grader that they become, but man, they've come to your camp. They've seen you in your, in their school. They've been to a game because they got an invitation. Like there's so many things you can do. Yeah, and you get a lot, like, sometimes you get those late bloomers where if you have a relationship in ninth grade and guys start turning the corner 10th grade, 11th grade year, you're in a good position to kind of close the deal because you were kind of there there from the get-go. Yeah. Let me me ask you this, though. So we know that, like, there's a ton of factors that play a role in the recruiting process, whether it's scheme fit, playing time, the, you know, programs on the education side of things, you got NIL opportunities, kind of everything's out there as far as, you know, what goes into making the decision to play for Virginia Tech. What I'm curious to hear your opinion on is how much does winning football games make recruiting and retaining players easier for you and your staff? I think winning games is very important, obviously. That's that's the ultimate, uh, you know, on the field, that's the ultimate goal, right? Um, but at the same time, I think the belief in the way we're doing things, I think the belief in how people are treated, I think the belief in the experience is all important too. I'm not going to sit here and say guys are going to be happy winning three games because they're not. Nobody is. But as long as everybody feels like we're going in the right direction, we're doing the right things, there's improvements, you know, that's that's what I hope for. And I think that's what's really important right now with where we're at as a program. Definitely. I love hearing it that way, Coach. Mm-hmm. All right, before we get to some more topics with head coach Brent Pry, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Are you tired of the stress and uncertainty of buying a used truck? Autosagereports.com is here to help. Autosagereports.com's platform provides detailed vehicle history report to help you make an informed decision. For a limited time only, you can start your seven-day trial for just $1 and search up to 50 vehicles in one month. Don't miss out on this amazing offer. Head to autosagereports.com slash boundary corner to start your free trial today. Again, go to autosagereports.com slash boundary corner to start your free trial today. Big thanks to autosagereport.com for sponsoring this portion of the episode. Be sure to visit autosagereport.com backslash boundary corner to start your seven day trial for just $1. Coach, you mentioned right before we went in our break there about the three games. That was your first time last year as a head coach. Um, and didn't have a ton of the top-end talent going into battle each week, but you guys fought every week tooth and nail. I think we all saw that as a fan. But what were some of your big lessons learned from that experience, and what adjustments are you making, you know, so far to get prepared and to be in a better position for 2023? Yeah, first of all, just being a full-time head coach is going to help me manage a game, manage a week, you know, manage a calendar, all those things. But – I think the two most important things we learned 
that we have to reteach and coach in the preseason is we've got to be able to battle through adversity much quicker. Early in the year, bad things would happen. We'd get in a slump. It'd take too long to climb out of it. Once we overcame it and we started realizing that, hey, just because we were down 14 nothing, nobody panic. Just keep playing, man. You know? And then as the season went on, we couldn't close out a team. You're up on Georgia Tech. You're up on NC State. It's, you know, it's a Thursday night, primetime game in Raleigh. And we're kicking the snot out of these guys. And we couldn't close it out. We played not to lose mm-hmm. instead of playing to win. And so those things are great examples, two really good examples that I have to do a better job of as a head coach early on, being proactive with situational football. Definitely. Well, you kind of touched on a couple of games, um, what you just were talking about there, but not to put words in your mouth, but earlier when we were talking, you said uh, last year, kind of focusing on the defense, you felt like it kind of held you back from being the best head coach. Um, Those games you just mentioned were those a couple of the games where you felt like um, were impacted by that, you kind of being more involved with the defense than being the whole head coach or the best head coach? I I don't know. That probably there was um, at least a minor impact every week. You know, that, you know, being a, being a DC and the head coach, you know, that was preseason camp. That was meetings. That was, that was everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it was very valuable. I wouldn't do it yeah. different. Yeah. You know, I, I needed my footprint on that defense. And not that I don't trust the coaches in that room, but I wasn't hired here because I was a great offensive play caller. You know, I wasn't hired here because of my looks. I wasn't hired here. You know, a big piece of it was the defense we played over the years. And and so if I, if, if I wasn't going to get in there and establish that and get a strong foundation in that room um, – you know, so I feel very good about that. But it was time to step away. And, and to see Chris call that game up at Liberty and the great job he did, and then to, you know, the, the freedom for me to be involved on offense, defense, and special teams for 60 minutes was invaluable. That much I do know, Tally. I yeah, felt mm-hmm. the difference in that game of not having to be on that defensive headset, making adjustments, being able to be on the offensive bench being on the offensive headset with Coach Bowen and the staff. I mean, it was just different. It was different, and I was I was definitely better that day. Well, you said you weren't hired here because of your looks, but some of the women do get a little excited about your beard, so you might, you might not want to cut that anymore. I don't know. My wife has a love-hate with it, man. As long as I keep it a little bit trimmed, she's good. You got to keep it tight. got to keep it tight. Can't let it get gangly. Yeah, well, we talk, I mean, you talked about the Liberty game a little bit. Um, us as a fan, as a fan perspective, again, we watch this team and we up and down with the team uh, every 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 week. Uh, watching that Liberty game, it kind of seemed like the team put everything together. I mean, we were fighting every – like you said, we were fighting every week. Uh, yep. We were in most of those games. We were either up and not able to hold on. But that Liberty game was a little bit different. It's like even the commentators, you kept hearing them say, but this is what Virginia Tech football is supposed to look like. You know, defense turning into offense and uh, running the ball to close the game out. Like, going back and seeing that game kind of – did that make you feel kind of where you want to be as a head coach 
Uh, that yeah, that was to me that we played <laughs> complimentary ball that day. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't play perfect. Yeah, we didn't make big mistakes. We worked through things. They had moments, uh, but we were able to battle back. And I thought we did a good job managing the game in all three phases. Um, you know, it's you know to me it's it's a sign of who we can be, but certainly not where we want to be. You know, we've 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 got to be. No better in all areas, but it was nice to see that on display, you know, to put a kind of stamp on, hey, guys, listen, that's the example. That's right. That's the direction. That's that's who we can be. And then some. I tell you what, the end of that Liberty game was like the best feeling. And I I know it had to be as a coach, because when y'all got that ball back, y'all forced that fourth down stop. And then the offense went down the field. You had guys blocking their butts off on the outside. Yep. And y'all got – I think Jalen got the first down and he got to go on a knee. I, I love that as a football fan. When you literally – that other team sits there and they have their heads because they know I can't do anything about yeah. it. Yeah, that's a good feeling. And, you know, that game, a lot happened at the end, man. There was the – Yes, sir. Yeah, the, the strip sack. I mean, we – Coach Bowen jumped on the headset and said, hey, I, it was third down. We were in four-minute mode. He said, I want to roll out and give us a chance to get the first down and close the game. It was third down. I said, do it. I said, but he can't throw the ball incomplete. we got to make them burn their timeout. So mm-hmm. if there's not an open receiver or he can't run for the first down, take the sack. Take the sack. They'll burn their timeout. They'll only have one left. We'll punt. We punt, we get the strip sack, mm-hmm. right? We get the ball back. I'm on the offensive headset. I said, hey, guys, the only way they can win the game is if they let us score and push this thing to OT. So if they're smart, they're going to try and help us in the end zone. So coach them running backs up, and sure enough, that's what they did. Yeah. And the offensive staff and players did a great job because they almost tried to help us in the end zone. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just taking a knee. We went down to make sure that clock ran out like it was able to. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Listen, guys, I got to run, man. I got two appointments waiting on me, and you guys have been great. I appreciate it. We appreciate well, you, you, Coach. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Coach. We appreciate thanks. the time. You have a good night. Listen, thanks for what you guys do. It means a lot for Hokies, man, everywhere, okay? Yes, we appreciate, sir. appreciate it, you. Appreciate right. it, Coach. You have a good Go one. Hokies. Take care. Go Hokies. Yeah. Go Hokies. And that was Brent Pry, folks. Boys, man, real. 100%. I tell you, it's kind of crazy, like, just looking at how candid he is. You know, talking with three guys, he's only, you know, me and Curtis got to shake his hand a couple times, um, you know, back last year at the the tailgate at at Hardywood. But, I mean, other than that, he doesn't know who we are, probably. Right, right. he took he took the time to to not only talk to us but to be very transparent about things that happened last year, things about recruiting, things about the spring. So I mean, nothing nothing but great things to say about how how Coach Pry is when he's when he's talking to folks about the program. Definitely, you can tell he's uh you can tell he's genuine in what he's saying and doing. So that's good. And trying to bring people around the program with that same same mind and heart. So. You know that that that's good, and we got to see some uh, some good stuff happening from that. You know, because of the portal, you got some people who didn't come here and yeah. probably would have never come here unless we got 
a coach like this and a staff like this, and they leave their respective programs, and now they're hokey. So, absolutely. Okay, I'm gonna ask y'all a quick question because I was, I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous when we <laughs> first when he, he, when he first popped on. Like as we we started chatting with him, but I'm gonna say within just a couple minutes, just how he talks, he just yeah. like he's just so genuine, and mm-hmm. you just know, like. Why is he such a good recruiter? How does he get those messages across? Some of those we heard in this podcast that a little bit rough because he's real. Yeah. Yeah. He knows how to deliver the – I think sometimes it's knowing how to deliver the news, not necessarily Mm -hmm. what the news is, right? Right. And so, I mean, sometimes if if you're transparent with how you are talking to someone and you show that – you know, you show that you care about them, but you you have to – accept the realities of the situation that we're working with here. And I think he, he, he's able to translate that pretty well in how he uh, approaches those conversations, both with the players and, and how he interacts with fans and media and things like that. So definitely. All right. Well, boys, that was fun. We, again, we thank coach Pry for joining us today um, for this. And that is going to wrap up this episode of the boundary corner podcast brought to you by main street pharmacy. In Blacksburg, I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. I'm Jonathan Talley. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. Also, check out the merchandise shop at the Boundary Corner store. We might have to send Coach something, Brian, in a few weeks here. (laughs) While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube account. Check out last time's episode to see all the tape breakdown. Um, Here a couple things Coach has to say about you please uh also podcast spotify amazon apple podcast we let our buddy jason long play us in play us out check him out on his website jasonlongmusic.com where it links you to all of his music apple spotify and youtube and facebook pages june 2nd he's got a new ep dropping called other people of children the covers ep where you will find that midnight rider song along with a few other ones as well boys that was fun Never yes, thought we'd be today, right? <laughs> Leveling up, man. Leveling, Leveling up, up, baby. We thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And let's go. Hokies. Hokies.